Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome into Soccer Morning right here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Big show on tap for you. Our friend Eric Gomez will join us in just a couple of minutes to talk about Mexico's Gold Cup victory. They lift the trophy for the seventh time. Uh, The way they got there was rather interesting, but in the end, they get the job done. Uh, we'll talk about MLS, we'll talk about the national team, we'll talk about all of those things when we open up the phone lines after discussing Mexico with Eric Gomez. In the meantime, we have a bunch of headlines to roll through on a Monday morning. It starts with Mexico, 3-1 winners over Jamaica at uh, the Lincoln Financial Field yesterday in Philadelphia. And a full house on hand to witness Mexico lifting their seventh Gold Cup trophy, Andres Gordado the superior uh, best player of the tournament, whatever that's called. He was the superior player of the tournament. He had the uh, the best tournament. He won the award for the best player of the tournament, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. Jesus Corona, Takatito, is that is that how we're going? Takatito? Takatito. I'll ask Eric Gomez how to pronounce that correctly, and he'll give me a, a lesson. One young player of the tournament, if you're wondering about uh, Golden Boot and Golden Gloves, those actually went to Americans. Glenn Dempsey won the Golden Boot for most goals scored in the tournament with seven. And Brad Guzan won the award for best goalkeeper in the, yeah. The United States finished fourth in this tournament. They lost to Panama on penalties on Saturday. If you did not care or watch that game, I do not blame you 100%. I was uh, forced, required. I watched that game. It was a disastrous performance by the United States. Did not look interested, did not look engaged. Looked like they looked through the rest of the tournament, as a matter of fact. And when it came down to penalties, ultimately, just one too many misses. Michael Bradley was saved. Demarcus Beasley missed to finish it out, unfortunately. And Panama wins third place. The United States' worst finish in this tournament since the year 2000. And now plenty of questions swirling around a certain Jurgen Klinsmann, who is in charge of the program and now has to aim this team towards confederations cup playoff on october 9th rose bowl pasadena california in front of what is sure to be a 90 95 99 percent pro mexico crowd there at the rose bowl the united states and mexico will play for the right to go to the confederations cup 
in 2017. That's what Klinsman has to work towards. Miguel Herrera has a little bit of momentum now to push towards that game. And uh, look, it's not been a good tournament from the United States. That's an understatement of the century. But there is still an opportunity to salvage the year. And obviously, the United States has qualifying coming up like everybody else. Something you want to push towards. Want to have some momentum. Fourth on our list here this morning, Didier Drogba. Likely to sign with the Montreal Impact after the Impact secured the rights to the Ivorian striker from the Chicago Fire for allocation money, both of the targeted variety and the regular variety. Meanwhile, Chicago, per reports, will be signing Gilberto, the Brazilian striker once of Toronto FC. It appears that Toronto FC waived him. Uh, last I heard, he was out on loan to help make room for the DPs that Toronto had in their ranks. Um, the three DPs they have, Michael Bradley, Josie Outdoor, Sebastian Javinko. Uh, but apparently he's been waived, and now he's available for the Chicago Fire to pick up. They needed some help. And they go out into the market, uh, and they find themselves a striker with MLS experience who they can uh, pay down to a uh, an appropriate level for a team that does not spend a lot of money right now. We know that. Uh, Andrea Pirlo made his debut for New York City FC this weekend. Played about 35 minutes for City, made an immediate impact. Ultimately, New York won that. New York City won that game five to three over Orlando City. Uh, Kyle Laren scored three goals, a hat trick for Orlando in the losing cause. You had uh, Poku was uh, was incredible, three assists on the day. David Villa scoring twice. Obviously, Pirlo in the middle of the park, pulling some strings, keeping the ball. Um, on his feet, he did turn the ball over once. He did pick up a yellow card. It was an eventful debut for the Italian crate. But all in all, the uh, all in all, City has to be very pleased with the way things came out, and certainly with the victory, uh, as it were, over Orlando City. And finally, this happened Saturday morning ahead of the U.S. losing to Panama, ahead of Mexico on Sunday winning the Gold Cup. We had a qualifying draw in St. Petersburg, Russia. FIFA put on their weird little show. Uh, Jerome Valka was there overseeing the proceedings. Sepp Blatter made some remarks ahead of time. He's standing there making awkward uh, gestures towards Vladimir Putin and uh, doing a bro handshake. It was very strange. Ultimately, the United States, for the fourth round of CONCACAF qualifying, got a very, very nice draw. Uh, the U.S. slotted into Group C with Trinidad and Tobago, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, or Aruba, Antigua and Barbuda or Guatemala. Uh, meanwhile, Mexico goes into a group with Honduras, the winner of Curacao, El Salvador, and the winner of Canada, Belize. So not a super easy path there. And Group B is where uh, is where the most difficult uh, challenge is for a number of teams. Costa Rica, Panama, the winner of Grenada, uh, Grenada and Haiti, and the winner of Jamaica, Nicaragua. So you will have only two... Uh, teams from that group making the hack. So that means one of Jamaica, Haiti, Panama, or Costa Rica is likely to miss out on the final round of CONCACAF qual qual qualifying. You had the draws for Europe. Commabowl was a matter of scheduling. As obviously, you know, we, all, we know all 10 teams go up in a round-robin uh, format to determine who goes to the World Cup from South America. Um, here is your Here are some notables from your UEFA uh, groups, you have England and Scotland 
drawn together. That's uh, a big deal, obviously, in the UK. Uh, that gives Group F, England, Slovakia, Scotland, Slovenia. Slovakia and Slovenia drawn together. That won't confuse anybody. Lithuania and Malta. Uh, Netherlands, France, Sweden, Bulgaria, Belarus, and Luxembourg is Group A. So you have the Dutch and the French drawn together along with Zlatan's Sweden. Group B, Portugal, Switzerland, Hungary, Faroe Islands, Latvia, and Andorra. Uh, not a tough group there for the Portuguese and the, Swi- uh, the Swiss. Group C, Germany, Czech Republic, Northern Ireland, Norway, Azerbaijan, and San Marino. Now I'm committed to doing all of these, so let me get through them very, very quickly here. Group D, Wales, the top-ranked team in the group, Austria, Serbia, Ireland, Moldova, and Georgia. That's a, that's a nice little draw for Ireland with the possibility of making a World Cup for the first time in, I don't know, forever. Romania, Denmark, Poland, Montenegro, Armenia, and Kazakhstan in Group E. Group G, I've already read Group F, Group G, Spain, Italy, Albania, Israel, Macedonia, and there's a six-team, Liechtenstein, because of, uh, uh, of, and then there's only, there's two groups with, with only five teams, Belgium, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Greece, Estonia, and Cyprus in Group H, and Group I, Croatia, Iceland, Ukraine, Turkey, and Finland. There's your UEFA qualifying groups, if you cared at all about that. Uh, I suppose you did a little bit. Let's take a break. When we come back, our friend Eric Gomez will join us to talk about Mexico's Gold Cup and that Confederations Cup playoff on October 9th. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We're back on Soccer Morning on a Monday, which means we're recapping everything that happened over the weekend, which means we have to talk about Mexico because they are Gold Cup champions for the seventh time. To look at at that win in the state of Mexico and certainly looking ahead to the Confederations Cup playoff game, Eric Gomez joins us. Eric Gomez 86 on Twitter. Hey, Eric. Doing doing good this morning, got to say. even if it is just to um, recapitulate on what has been, I think, the, one of the craziest Gold Cups in recent memory. Absolutely. One crazy, very uh, very interesting, very dramatic, very controversial Gold Cup. But in the end, L3 brings home the trophy, Eric, and they do it with a bit of style showing up. That was Look, that was the best game they played in the tournament, I think, by, right. uh, by a large margin. Absolutely. I would say that... Um, you know, we, we kept talking about this over and over again. We talked about it in the group stage. We talked about it after the quarterfinal match against Costa Rica. You know, I said it several times on Twitter, you know, eventually this team is going to have to respond to pressure. And even if that ball of pressure keeps getting bigger and bigger, um, you know, CONCACAF and the officials and all of the, all of the really terrible storylines that, that were around L3 for this tournament, they've got to dissipate at some point. If you play a good game of football, that's, what happened against Jamaica. And I think it got to the point where we didn't expect it. You know, it got to the point where we thought that Jamaica was going to show up the way that they had uh, during this entire tournament and uh, turn up their style and turn up their, their great uh, strategic play the way that they did against the United States and, and maybe take home the trophy for the Caribbean. But that didn't happen. Mexico. Yeah. I mentioned it on Twitter. Uh, the first 30 minutes are always, 
key for Mexico. If they get a goal within that time frame, they're good to go. If they don't, it's it's going to be very difficult for them in any venue against any team. <clears throat> Guardado got it, I think, in the 31st minute. So they um, they cruised on past Jamaica after that. Yeah, certainly the Jamaicans came out with a lot of energy. And for the first 10 or 15 minutes, you thought, okay, you know, this is uh, Jamaica – uh, you know, it looks like the better team. I, I certainly thought that. I mean, Mexico wasn't a disaster by any stretch, but Jamaica was pressing the action. They were looking for the first goal. And then, you know, Mexico slowly worked their way into it. Um, I, I suppose at this point, after the tournament we've had, uh, after what happened to the U.S., after Mexico getting controversial penalties in order to get to this point, is this a matter of just sort of like, uh, you know, sweeping the whole thing under rug, saying, hey, we got it done, let's just move on? Or is there some reckoning that needs to happen around this team because of the way they got to this title? Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to be able to sweep this under the rug. And I think the first casualty you will see is the Mexican director of um, national teams, uh, Hector Gonzalez Iñárritu, the guy who essentially appointed Chepo back in 2011, uh, the guy who dismissed Chepo and appointed Vucetich and then had that whole dramatic swing with Miguel Herrera after just two games in charge for Vucetich. I mean, this is this is a guy that has been pretty much singled out by media and fans as not being up to speed and, and not doing his, his job as well as you would like him to. So he's the first guy who's going to go. You're going to bring in a, a person who um, has done this before in, in managing the um, – the national team activity, Guillermo Cantu, he did that, um, I think it was mid-2000s when Mexico had its best run under Ricardo Lavolpe, so there's certainly some hope that uh, there'll be a um, a blast blast from the past with Cantu. And then, of course, if Mexico doesn't make it into the Confederations Cup, regardless of what happened yesterday in Philadelphia, I still think that Miguel Herrera has a pretty good chance of losing his job. So, especially with the new national team director, I mean, you know, it's three months out in Pasadena. Um, that, that gives the new national team director plenty of time to think about his options, and, and that's a do-or-die game for Miguel Herrera because once that game is won or lost, you now have a pretty good cushion, a pretty good time frame to look at the uh, the pre-hex and the hexagonal qualifying for for CONCACAF. And then you know you also have to think about CONCACAF in itself, um, I think the reckoning is going to be pretty much centered on what happened during the tournament on their end, more so than on Mexico's end. Yeah, certainly, um, there's some of that to be, uh, to be figured out at this, at that point. By the way, we're, we're, I'm looking at Twitter, uh, <laughs> Eric, and, uh, your friend Tom Marshall, our friend Tom Marshall has, um, has just tweeted that there's a, a report that Miguel Herrera has <laughs> struck a journalist in the Philadelphia airport. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to make of this yet, but uh, uh, Mexico journalist uh, Medrano Azteca, I'm not sure who, David, uh, mm-hmm. David Medrano, uh, right. reporting Miguel Herrera hit TV commentator Martinoli in Philadelphia airport this morning. Uh, yeah, so there's a combative relationship between the, the press and, and Miguel at this point? Yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> um, we had a press conference not too long ago, and I'm sure that Tom spoke about this or uh, I'm not sure if it was myself who spoke about this, but we um, we had a press conference about uh, in that interim between the Copa America and the Gold Cup, in which Miguel Herrera called this guy out. Um, oh, he's the okay. ma- he's the lead 
play-by-play announcer for TV Azteca, one of the two Mexican networks down here. And um, he just, he basically called him an idiot. You know, he basically called him an idiot with, with, with a couple of stronger words in Spanish. And um, he said that he hoped that he would find him soon so that he could, you know, be able to discuss <clears throat> the criticism thrown his way. Apparently that happened already. So okay, um, let's 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 imagine this is true. Um, right, you know, uh, the, apparently the the source is reputable. Per Tom, I'm sure you could back that up. Right. If if this happened, what kind of? I mean, I'm not. I, I'm laughing a little bit. I, I hopefully the 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 gentleman in question is right. not overly injured, but I I can't imagine he is. Uh, the older guys slapping each other isn't really that big of a deal usually. But what what would be the the consequences for Miguel Herrera? You know, that's that's a really tricky question, and that's something that any any Mexican journalist or any Mexican fan in general is kind of afraid to answer because this is a this is a country where um, people are given free passes regularly, um, in spite of of whatever they might be able to do. <clears throat> and this is, <clears throat> if you want to look at it from the uh, soccer perspective, it's it's you know it's it's definitely controversial. It's definitely something that should be punished. Um, I think we need proof. I think we need somebody to have taken a picture at the exact right moment or to have taken, you know, just a quick video clip. Otherwise, there's going to be a he says, he says type situation going on for quite some time. And um, even if we get 10 journalists who were in the vicinity at the time that that happened, um, if there's no picture, if there's no visual evidence, a la Ray Rice in the NFL, um, I doubt anything is going to happen, okay. and that is, you know, that's that's pretty sad. But yeah. uh, that's just the way it is. Well, again, this is an unconfirmed report. We'll move on from that. It just it happened while we were talking. I thought it would it, it bared some uh, some mention. Uh, let's talk about right. the the good for Mexico. I think the 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 most obvious good for Mexico is Guardado and his performance in this tournament. He was excellent across the the entirety of Mexico's uh, campaign. Whether uh, whether the rest of the team struggled, and certainly the uh, forward struggled to, to, to finish chances, Guardado was. Fantastic in the middle of the park. I think he was able to rise above the fold. I think he was the only player who showed the consistency that he was able to <clears throat> show Mexican fans um, over the course of his club season over at PSV. And I think that that's a very important thing to kind of uh, take into account here. Andres Guardado, uh, along with maybe Hector Herrera, Carlos Vela, those were the only three guys that really got, you know, even Hector Moreno, who was out pretty much half the season with an injury. Um, those are the only three guys who really got the the brunt of minutes with their clubs last season, and that's a very important thing that you got to look at because, you know, now the first part of the hurdle for Mexico was sending these players to Europe, you know, and, and they were able to do that thank, thanks to players like Rafa Marquez and you know later Chicharito. Over the course of the uh, these last four or five years, I think we've seen an explosion that we have never seen before with Mexican players leaving for Europe. But the second part of that hurdle, and um, one that I don't think anybody expected, at least on the Mexican fan, Mexican media side, is the fact that they're not getting any minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, Chicharito played four years at Manchester United. <clears throat> His prize was a one-year loan deal at Real Madrid, where he got—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but I think it was, the report was within between 15 and 20 percent of the team's overall minutes in La Liga. You know, that that's not a very good number for a player of Chicharito's caliber, regardless of the team that he's playing for. Guardado was able to rise above the fold, I believe, in large part because he's been carrying that that very 
good wave of activity from from the club level. He, he regained his confidence after a couple of tough spells at Bayer Leverkusen at Valencia. And um, as far as Hector Herrera and Carlos Vela are concerned, the, the, that really just makes them look bad because Herrera had a fantastic season over at Porto. Carlos Vela was consistent at Real Sociedad. And then you had that smattering of other players who were just hard to even find weekend after weekend for their clubs in, in Spain and England and, and in uh, Portugal. So it's uh, it's definitely something to, to analyze and to look into for Miguel Herrera as we look forward um, to the, the next big games, essentially that, that October 9th game against the United States. Let's talk about another another player in uh, another uh, Mexican player in Holland, uh, Jesus Corona, otherwise known as Tacatito. Tecatito. He is um, uh, an incredibly skilled player. Came on and made a uh, Eric Winalda could not stop slobbering over Tecatito. Uh, <laughs> Eric, it was something to behold, and, and for good reason. I mean, the, the kid's ability with the ball is is probably you know it, it's, it's once in a lifetime to- type of talent. Um, he was named the young player of the tournament. He obviously scored yesterday, made a, made a difference when he came on for Mexico. What's his future? We'll, we'll get to the story of his nickname in a minute. What's his right. future? Well, yeah, well, well, he's with FC Twente right now over at, in the Netherlands. And there has been talk that PSV, which is on the Guardado's team might take him on. But, um, the unconfirmed reports, I might add that he's been asking for about thrice his salary right now have kind of halted that negotiation. But, you know, you look at his talent, and, and you're absolutely right. I think it is kind of once-in-a-lifetime type talent because he's <clears throat> he's just so silky smooth with the ball. He's he's so fast, and he's so smart. He, he looks like the type of player who knows what he's going to do before he actually does it. And um, when you look at what he's been able to do at such a young age – it's certainly well warranted, you know, the fame and, and the expectation that Mexican fans have, have put upon him. But that's, you know, they, they've learned that that's a very dangerous game as well, because this is the, exactly the type of thing that happened with Carlos Vela, with Giovanni Dos Santos, and with Chicharito just a few years ago. So if you're not able to deliver on that talent, and if you're not able to become a world star um, in the next, you know, 12, 18 months, uh, public opinion starts to change, and it just starts to become a little bit more difficult for them to justify that fame and justify that fortune, um, knowing full well that they're struggling to win Gold Cups and they're start struggling to make the World Cup. So Corona has to really assume that mantle and say, I am the offensive leader for this team for the years to come, and I'm not going to be the type of player who just kind of gives up after a few years in Europe and comes back to Mexico or comes back to MLS the way that we've seen with a few players of Giovanni Dos Santos and Javier Aquino's caliber. Um, but he is just an absolute stunning player. I think that if he is continue, I mean, I would say that the best course of action for him right now is to stay another season at Twente, maybe even just six months, because he is the type of player that is going to get snapped up by a big team. And, you know, that's a capital B, capital I, capital G team. Um, there have already been some reports linking him to Manchester City. So that just gives you an idea of how good he's been able to uh, perform, not just for the national team, but for his club as well. Uh, the story of his nickname is is, uh, is awesome. I, I love this. Uh, in fact, uh, Hercules <laughs> Gomez was on Twitter yesterday asking people if they could figure out why his name is Tecatito. And it, it's Tecatito because he played for Monterrey, which is uh, a club sponsored by Tecate. And his name is Corona. <laughs> and there's some comp- competitive issues there, right? Yeah. 
Yep, yep, yep. You, you know, you don't want uh, you don't want any anybody messing with your sponsorship money, man. And uh, they were very adamant that uh, they either call him by his given name, with which is Jesus, and is pretty common in Mexico, or sure. they just make something up for him, and they essentially made something up for him. So that's um, and it stuck. I mean, that, that, that's stuck, the thing yeah. that, that 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 boggles my mind is that it's not just that they gave him this nickname to avoid having to put Corona on the back of his shirt, but that it's stuck and people still call him that even <laughs> though he's moved on. If there's three things that I've learned about Mexico in my 20 plus years of living here, it's, it's this, uh, we love nicknames, we love soccer and we love beer. So there it's a perfect combo. All right. So let's look ahead to October 9th. Uh, Eric, I mean, uh, you know, we had uh, word that uh, the Rose Bowl was being set aside for this, uh, for this game, even before Mexico had lifted the trophy against Jamaica. And sure enough, it's now been confirmed uh, this game will happen. Now, I, I don't know what the college football schedule looks like around that period. I imagine there's some scheduling issues that they'll have to work through. Um, I imagine that the field may not be in the best possible shape. But we're bound to see a very pro-Mexico crowd. This all sets up very nicely for Mexico to secure that Confederations Cup spot. It does if you, it does if you remember what happened four years ago. But I still, you know, I still believe that U.S. men's national team fans need to show up for these types of games. Um, being a native of San Diego, I mean, I've been to Los Angeles many a times in my lifetime, and I can tell you that even within that Latino contingent, there are a there's a huge amount of U.S. men's national team fans in the Pasadena, L.A. area, and for some reason, for whatever reason, uh, these people don't show up for those national team games against Mexico. Um, you're looking at, I mean, to me, it's, it's just strange to think of Los Angeles and to think of Southern California as a bastion for, for Mexican soccer. You know, I just think that, that fans in that area need to show up and they need to, um, make their presence known. I think that this could very well be a 50, 50 type game if, if ticket sales go the way that CONCACAF and U.S. soccer would expect them to. But the reality is that we've seen Mexico dominate that, that region for several years now. And, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm a betting man, which I'm not, I, I would definitely say that there will be a majority of Mexico fans in that game. So, again, the pressure will be on them. And this is something that we can't overlook because we had a Mexico team going into this Gold Cup and, and just everybody was thinking that they would be world beaters because they've got their A team, et cetera, et cetera. And we saw what happened with the United States being just so outplayed and with Klinsman maybe not hanging by a thread because I, I have read uh, Sunil's comments mm-hmm. with, with Klinsman wanting to get back <laughs> into the fold and say, Hey, I'm still the guy that you guys hired four years ago. I'm still able to, to take you to the promised land. This is going to be a huge game. I think this is, this, this can rank amongst the top us Mexico games of all time. So oh. It's definitely an exciting prospect as we as we look at it three months from now. It's a return to the side of the 2011 Gold Cup final, game one by Mexico, four to two. I, I very vividly remember Landon Donovan's goal and the chicken dance, and then I vividly remember Giovanni Dos Santos scoring an incredible goal. I think a very sharp angle on Tim Howard. It, there was that game was was brilliant and vibrant and exciting. Clearly on the wrong side of things for the Americans, but if we get anything like that, uh, then then it'll be well worth it. Now. You know, I, I saw this, and let me get your thoughts on this, Eric. I saw somebody say on Twitter yesterday, and I can't remember who it was, but it, it's a valid point. 
it, it, because of the Confederations Cup playoff, because of the value that the United States and Mexico put on that tournament, it almost feels like the Gold Cup is a, is a preliminary, is, is a, is a semifinal or something. I mean, it, it, does that, does it, do you think it devalues the Gold Cup to have those two big nations focusing so much effort on the Confederations Cup? Yeah, I do. And I think that it's ridiculous that we have this tournament two years apart, uh, to begin with. I think that, if CONCACAF wants to evolve, if they want to leave uh, some of this old guard stuff behind, uh, this whole Jack Warner, <clears throat> Chuck Blazer, Jeff Webb um, history, they've got to give up some of the money. I know that's the hardest thing that you can ask of a soccer executive, but that's the truth. I mean, <clears throat> if you're looking at Copa America, and regardless of what happened, with the 100th anniversary in the 2016 tournament in the United States, that's a tournament that you get once every four years. And that's the way that, that it is in Europe as well. I mean, that if, if you want to model your growth as a region, um, model, at, model it after South America and Europe. So to have it every two years and to have this made-up playoff to go to the Confederations Cup is, is pretty astounding. And, I mean, we, we all buy into it. You know what I mean? We're all buying tickets as fans and we're all not questioning the logic behind having it in the United States every two years. And we're not questioning the logic uh, as journalists that we're supposed to cover this event and treat it as if it you know, is the UEFA cup, uh, the UEFA national team competition or the Copa America, which is pretty crazy. I mean, when, when you stop and think about what the gold cup actually is, you tend to agree with people like that on Twitter and you say this definitely is a semifinal. It's, it's, it's not, it's devaluing its own, its own, um, appeal. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think that Mexico and the United States need to focus on bigger and better things every single time. They can't focus on the Confederations Cup and they can't focus on the biannual Gold Cup. They need to really just think about what their priorities are as a national team. Because if you win the Confederations Cup, which Mexico did in 1999, it offers nothing. It really doesn't. No. You know, beyond prestige, it does nothing for your program, to borrow a Klinsman phrase, and it does nothing um, to really raise your profile in the eyes of, of the world football fans. Right. So it's, I think yeah, that, because, that we have to do that. Because, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's pointed out regularly by, especially by the, the, the more snobby people in this country and certainly by people over uh, across the pond, oh, you're all focusing on this tournament that nobody else cares about. I mean, that, that's maybe selling the Confederations Cup just a tiny bit short. I mean, Russia will want to win it because it's on their home soil. But beyond that, you know, the champions of Europe and South America, yeah, okay, we're going to, yeah, we'll just show up. Yeah, okay, whatever. But it's not, it's not their goal. It's not their, it's not their number one aim. And it's certainly a second to their own regional championship, the Euro or, or, or Copa America. Whereas for the U.S. and Mexico, it, it is, it is the thing. Yeah. Right. I think you want to win everything that you play that you compete for. I think that you want to make everything an event. I understand that. But I still think that the Confederations Cup, you know, even for Mexico, again, Mexico has won this thing back in 99, and they did it on home turf, and they did it against the U23 Brazil side, but they still won it. You know, that's something that they can never take away from, from Mexico. Focus on winning the Copa America. You know, focus on building past your round of 16-ness in the World Cup. Focus on not struggling to make the World Cup. Focus on developing players who, uh, regardless of whether they play in Mexico or the United States or in Europe, 
um, have the ability to leave to lead your team beyond a two-game stretch, which is something that Mexico has struggled with, and I know that that's something that the United States has struggled with. I still think that it's incredibly amazing that Jurgen Klinsmann hitches his wagon to players like Ventura Alvarado, thinking that he's smarter than the club coaches who manage these guys, and say, well, you know, Ventura's a guy with a bright future, which he certainly is, but at this point he's better than a guy like Matt Beasler, which he's not. You know, he's better than a guy that has had national team experience and is a, a regular starter at his club team. Ventura Alvarado, I can tell you this right now, unless we get an injury to a uh, Club America starter, he's not going to start. He's going to be a player that comes off the bench, maybe comes in and fills in for a few minutes um, in, in a situation where America is leading as a center back. <clears throat> and if he comes in as a, uh, as a left back or a right back or a winger, then he will get the opportunity to maybe collaborate on offense, but he won't be a regular starter. So that mm. that kind of you know that that really trips me out about Concacaf and 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 the way that we we do things as a as a region. It's uh you know it feels as though this tournament should be some sort of tipping point. Uh, you mentioned when we talked about reckonings, whether or not there should, there'll be one for Mexico, whether or not there'll be one for the U.S., whether or not there'll be one for Concacaf, and. While I'm I'm a little depressed by based on the performance of my particular team, Eric, and and I'm sort of down on Concacaf in a little bit because I don't think Mexico is is obviously hitting on all cylinders at the moment. I guess I should be positive about the performance of, um, uh, of Jamaica and of Trinidad and Tobago. I think I just lost Eric. I did. I just lost Eric Gomez. You know what? We were going to wrap that up anyway. Let's go ahead and finish out this segment. We'll come back. We'll open up the phone lines. We'll talk to you. We'll get your thoughts on Mexico, on the United States. Excuse me. <coughs> now my voice is going out. Everything's going wrong. Mondays. We'll be right back. Soccer morning. Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on a Monday morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. It is Soccer Morning. You have thoughts on the U.S. Men's National Team. You have thoughts on the Gold Cup. You have thoughts on MLS, which we haven't really delved into. We talked about Andrea Pirlo's debut and the big win for NYCFC. But beyond that, we haven't really gotten into any of that. So that's on the table as well. Here, have your say, whether it's... uh, any of those domestic issues or perhaps some European transfer rumors? I don't know. Pablo in D.C., you're on the air. Hey, Jason. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Pablo. Hey, I have two quick comments about, you know, U.S.-Mexico. I am a, a Mexican-American, so for those people, you know, you might not understand, but I, I definitely root for both teams, although the U.S. tends to be my favorite team. But, you know, I've, I've had two, three days now to digest all the <laughs> horrible, terrible performance that the U.S. had and all the comments that are going on and analysis. And I just want to say, you know, that, that was that was horrible. They should improve. Um, but, you know, like like sports, like in anything in life, I think, you know, there's challenges that you're going to find and not everything is, you know, improving every day. And, and I think this is a big challenge for the team and for Klinsman. And I, 
And that could be a good thing. You know, we are, we're talking right now about firing him and getting rid of him. I, you know, I hope this is something that, that helps him, even though he's not going to acknowledge publicly, maybe, but go, he goes back to his staff and says, what went wrong? What can we improve? Uh, and hopefully this will be, a, you know, a, something that will help the team grow better. But because, pa- Pablo, um, but my, wanna, my issue mm-hmm. with Jurgen Klinsmann is that he has shown no inclination to be that guy over his four years in charge. He's never once really sat, stood up and said, we're not good enough. This is my fault. I need to be better. I need to push this team in a different direction. I need to be blah, 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 blah. He's never once taken responsibility for the problems that are evident on the field. He always tries to spin it in a positive way, or he digs his heels in on players we all know aren't good enough for the level he's putting them on. He, uh, Eric Gomez just brought up a Ventura Alvarado. Maybe he's a one for the future. Maybe Ventura Alvarado in four years is a player you really want to see on the field for the United States of America. He wasn't good enough in this tournament, Pablo. He shouldn't have been out there. He wasn't at all. And, and, and same he thing. Wasn't, and I think that's, and I, hopefully that's what I'm going to, like I say, like, Clinton is not going to acknowledge it publicly. We know that. And Bruce Arena also didn't acknowledge stuff publicly. And, okay, fair and that's enough. Clinton, I just fair hope, enough. I just hope he goes back with Herzog and his team and Ramos, and they're like, where can we improve? They're not going to say it publicly, and that, you know, that frustrates the media, frustrates the fans, because we want to see a more, you know, uh, open and transparent uh, coaching staff. Um, but he's not going to do it. He's never done it. But I hope he actually does it behind doors, and we'll see maybe a difference. And I just wanted, before you let me go for, for Mexico, you know, like, you can criticize Clinton all you want, and he deserves criticism. But our criticism has been focused on football-related matters with him, strategy, tactics, the player selection, and that's perfect. But Herrera, because I hear some people comparing Herrera with Klinsman and Herrera's better. Imagine if Klinsman went after the media the way that Herrera has been going, hitting media, threatening media play, uh, media uh, members, uh, maybe whatever happened, maybe, you know, hitting people, going political and uh, embracing political party. That, that person should leave the Mexican national team. You know, we, we have our problems here in the U.S. with Clemson, but I'm so happy that we're not dealing with issues like the ones that, that Herrera and the Mexican national team are. That is disgraceful. And, you know, to put it in perspective, you know, it's a different, two different animals. And please, let's stop comparing one with the another. I think Clemson's a hundred times better coach than Herrera when it comes to managing off-field situation or other things that Herrera does it. Okay, fair enough. I, I mean, I, I think that, uh, yeah, Herrera, well, I was talking about different cultures, for one thing. But Herrera does things like uh, backing the the political party, which he's not supposed to do. And now apparently he's uh, he's hit a he's hit a member of the media, which is absolutely. I mean, you're right though. Imagine, I, imagine if Clinton hit hit one of your colleagues in the media. Like, how would you react? Tell me. Uh, like, well, how did the media I, in the U.S. would react? I, I think that he <laughs> would be fired immediately, regardless of of who it was or what the situation yeah. was. He'd be fired immediately. And and honestly, if Herrera did this. And and there are some corroborating reports coming out. He should be fired immediately. He should be. I mean, there, there's no doubt about that. Me- yeah, that guy otherwise, 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 Mexico looks like they are party to a head coach running amok. And I don't care if he brought home a trophy after all. You know, I don't care if there's some, suddenly some good feelings around Piojo after the, lifting the trophy yesterday. I, I don't care if the, if the press is uh, the, some of the press is saying he got it right and good job and. Or even if the, his bosses at the FMF are happy, if you hit somebody in in the line of in your in your line of well, if you hit somebody, period, maybe, but especially when you're on the job. And really, if he's at the airport 
and there's press around, and you're in public, and you're the head coach of one of the most popular teams in this hemisphere, you're on the job, and you can't hit somebody. You can't. All right, Pablo, anything else, man? Yeah. No, that's yeah. No, that's all. And I want to say that NYCFC. I'm not an NYCFC fan, DC United, but that was really fun. That yeah, was, was really, really fun to watch that game. And I hope uh, we'll see more of these type of games across MLS. But uh, yeah, that was that was that was encouraging in many ways. Horrible defense, but it's it's a fun game to watch. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for the call, Pablo in DC. There goes uh, there goes Pablo. Six four six eight three two three nine zero nine is your phone number. Six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. You know, uh, Eric Gomez referenced the comments of Sunil Gulati, uh, as, a, as they pertain to Jurgen Klinsmann and his job security. And if you're looking for those, uh, comments, I've got them here. I don't have audio. I'd love to have them in Gulati's voice and his, uh, particularly unique delivery. But what I've got here is some written comments. No, he said, uh, uh when talking about whether or not Jurgen Klinsmann might face a similar fate as Bob Bradley. Remember, Bob Bradley lost the 2011 Gold Cup final to Mexico and was subsequently fired. Klinsman, or sorry, Galati said, no, I don't think that's a reasonable assumption. I said it the last time. We don't make judgments based on one game. We don't go in and renew a contract because we beat Germany and Holland away from home, and we won't make a change here. There's no parallels in all of this. This is the year after Brazil. This is actually Klinsman speaking now. Let me find some more of these uh, Galati comments. Actually, I don't have any more Galati comments. That seems to be all it is. But I don't understand this attitude from Senior Galati. Now, you could make your argument that it's not the right move to fire the head coach. Fine, that's your that's your prerogative. If you think the continuity matters, especially heading into the Confederations Cup playoff, et cetera, et cetera, fine. But maybe some acknowledgement that there was a failure here. Maybe some acknowledgement that you need to see improvement. Maybe some acknowledgement or some explanation of what exactly it is that's happening that's good for this team. Because this is a results-based business. At least as head coach, Jurgen Klinsmann has a responsibility to win games. They did not win a game. They should have won. They finished fourth in a tournament they were supposed to win, or at least they were a favorite to win, or at least they should have been in a final in. To have suddenly this be not a big deal is very strange considering the amount of weight placed on the tournament in light of the fact that it did buy them in to the Confederations Cup next, uh, sorry, in two years' time. I just don't know. I don't, if, if Gulati is happy with the direction of the team, he needs to convey that message and he needs to convey it clearly. Otherwise, the rest of us are sitting here going, well, what is Klinsman doing that is helping? It's not being reflected in the play on the field. Now, there is no, there is no obvious replacement. And that's, that's as good a reason to keep Klinsman on the job as any. But none of this, and let me read some of these Klinsman, uh, quotes. This is the, this is, this is the year one after Brazil. And our goal is to go further in the next World Cup than we did in Brazil. And this is a working process now. This will give us here and there some kickbacks, some situations where you make a step back maybe, and you hopefully make two steps forward, two forward. That process is ongoing. We had that, had the discussion now on Wednesday night after the game with Jamaica, and this team will grow. This team will get better. The youngsters will learn out of mistakes that they make on the field. They will come more, become more responsible, more accountable, more personalities. I can't blame anybody for the last four weeks. No way, because they really showed great character. 
The spirit was very good throughout the tournament. They kept going. Our goal is to move things forward, to become a little bit more proactive and not reactive. This process will keep on going. It's it's a bunch of the same drivel he has dished out every single time the U.S. has put out a poor performance. Every single time the the United States has been outshot by a 10-to-1 margin or failed to control a game in which they were the better team or should have been the better team or simply failed to play cohesive, coordinated, organized soccer. Every single time he makes these same statements. It's about growing or ongoing processes or the youngsters. Okay, I don't know. I'm I'm just I'm I'm maddeningly I'm just very frustrated with Jurgen Klinsmann right now, and I don't know where to go with it. I don't know where my anger, my it's not anger, it's disappointment. It's disappointment. I'm very sad about the state of the U.S. men's national team right now. And there's got to be some concern on the part of the fans as to where they go next. What do you think Klinsman should do, or what do you think U.S. soccer should do? Six four six eight three two thirty nine oh nine. And remember that. While at the same time the U.S. men's national team is struggling, is finishing fourth in the Gold Cup, is putting forth these performances that inspire no confidence that Jurgen Klinsmann's got them moving in the right right direction, Shino Galati in U.S. soccer is also dealing with the fallout of the FIFA corruption scandal and has failed to answer the bell when it comes to giving the giving a satisfactory answer as to their relationship with the corrupt individuals within CONCACAF who were held, who held, held sway and took money off the top for the last 25 years. There's been no acknowledgement of culpability or responsibility or failure to inform or what, whatever, whatever level we want to hold you at. Maybe we don't hold U.S. soccer to a standard. Are we not holding them to a standard? I mean, is there is there any sort of popular upset over the direction and leadership of U.S. soccer right now? Because I don't I don't see it. I I don't see a bunch of people calling for Snell Galati to either step down or again answer the questions that were presented by the Senate subcommittee. Which whether or not they were those those senators were there to score political points or not are good questions that deserve answers. And I'm I'm not sure that that Concacaf is headed in anywhere approaching a good direction. U.S. soccer is certainly an influence within Concacaf. You've got a a president now, a Concacaf president now, who doesn't say anything for three days, and then when he does speak, it's only to back up the notion that Mark Geiger needs to apologize for his performance in the game between Mexico and Panama. Ray Orozco here on Twitter. Just how talented is this U.S. national team, and who's been the bigger disappointment, manager or the players? It's going to be very difficult for you to, to convince me that the talent in this team right now is is significantly less than the talent that won the 2007 Gold Cup, that went to the final in 2009, now it's an off-year Gold Cup, whatever, that went to the final in 2011, that won the Gold Cup in 2013. This isn't a... There's not... The pool itself is not less talented. The players that Jurgen Klinsmann are picking is picking. Maybe those players are less talented. Maybe there's something there. Jerry in Rhode Island, you're on the air. Hi. 
you doing? Uh, um, man, it's rough today. It's rough, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was just calling about pretty much about Klinsman and his kind of, I don't know, it, what bothers me about him a little bit is he, he seems really thin-skinned. And what, what I mean by that is because he's like, he seems kind of like vindictive with the way like if anybody makes, any player makes like a comment or anything like that, they seem to be like blackballed or something like that. Like when Beasler made that comment, like it's just, he never, he's like not going to play for the first team anymore. I don't know if it's, you know, a never thing, but it seems like he like punishes people for, for saying things uh, about him, you know what I mean? Or, or about just the program in general, you know? So I, I think it's, I don't know if it's, it's me, but it just seems like, Certain players are just not given a chance for whatever reason. You know, he does. He, I, I don't want to put him on vindictive, although that may be the level it rises to. But he certainly seems to be. He seems to have this autocratic viewpoint on running the running the program. Okay, and and you know there is there's a lot here we don't know, Jerry. There's a lot. Things are easily spun in the public forum in a way that'll make Klinsman look bad. I mean, certainly he can't go. He can't go in a, in a battle of words with with Matt Beasler or Benny Failhaber or anybody else who has been sort of ostracized from this team. He can't engage in that. That's that's not going to do him any favors. But yeah, when we, we you know the problem the problem isn't necessarily that he's not picking Matt Beasler as long as the team is succeeding. If the team is succeeding, if the center backs that he picks are playing well, who cares if he's picking Matt Beasler? But they're not. They lost. But they're not, they that's failed. The thing. I feel like. It, it, it's because of I don't the thing I'm I'm just kind of guessing I don't know but it seems like he has this ego and like even if it hurts the team he just wants to satisfy his ego in a way you know I feel like I personally feel like Beasler and Gonzalez is the best center back pairing we have but because the comment that Beasler made in January happened I feel like he's just not going to pick them and he's going to search high and low for someone well, else. But I think it goes beyond <laughs> that. Jerry, I think it goes beyond that because, look, he only played Omar Gonzalez in games he didn't deem as important in this tournament. And that is an indication to me that he is so stubborn about bringing through this next generation of players. And think about it, both of them, I mean, John Brooks is a talented player, but he's 22. Maybe he's not ready. Uh, Ventura Alvarado yeah. is a ta- maybe a talented player. I'm not sure. I'm not sold on Ventura Alvarado being tell. a talented player. I honestly cannot tell. Yeah, I can't tell. From what I said, I you hear reports about him being good, but like I didn't see any of that during this tournament. Okay, you know? let, so. let, let me point out to let me point a uh, point to a t- uh, tweet here from Andrew AS Midge on Twitter. Beasler hasn't been that good since the World Cup. Uh, isn't good enough to be on the team. That's fine, That's Andrew. It, it, uh, first of all, I'm not sure I buy that. And second of all, form is fallacy, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but I will say that that, that would, that argument might hold water if the replacements were good enough. And they're not. They're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh yeah, continually I, saw honestly, Brooks and Alvarado make mistakes. I don't mistakes. buy that because Beasler dipped after the World Cup, yes, but like he's, He's definitely back on form again this year. You know, for he's been playing really good from what I can tell uh, for SKC. Well, I mean, look, Omar Gonzalez has been very good in 2015. Maybe we're all sort of past him. Maybe the hype train isn't following him around anymore. That's that's fine. That's that's all well and good. But he has been solid for for the LA Galaxy. And Klinsman continually decides to play guys who have less international experience, who frankly are less. are less adept at their jobs right now. I mean, maybe again, maybe Brooks is a really talented guy. Fine, play Brooks and, and, and Gonzalez together, 
Alvarado has shown very little, and that includes at the the club level. And and, and it's it's yeah. as though Klinsman is so committed to his to his program that he's willing to sacrifice the results, or he's unwilling yeah. to allow anybody else to tell him he's doing it wrong. And even if he can see it, even if he can recognize, okay, you know what, Timothy Chandler's not playing very well. We've got to make a change there. Once he hears it in the media, once he hears the U.S. pundits, which we know he has very little respect for the uh, for the soccer <laughs> IQ of this country, once he hears it out of American voices uh, or American mouths, he doesn't want to 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 uh, to fold to that. Now it's oh, I got to yeah, take my heels. He, he, this he, is he my just guy. Entrenches his position pretty much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's what's that's what's yeah. frustrating about him, Jerry. It's 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 incredible. Yeah. You got anything else? Yeah. Uh, no, I just pretty much I agree with what you said. I just think that like it's just a basic thing of you know us getting beat on crosses. You know how Brooks is not great in the air. I've never seen Omar Gonzalez get beat in the air like ever. <laughs> so yeah. it just seems like just a basic thing like that is a great reason to play him. And I think he's. I think the thing about him being bad at distribution, which is what used to be true, I think he's gone. He's completely reached another level. Like he, his he's distribution improved. is great. I think now. he's improved. So, I'm like, not going to put him on great, Jerry, yeah. but I think he's improved. Thanks for the call. Yeah. I, I, I think, sorry, I didn't mean to cut Jerry off there, but I, I think, uh, Gonzalez still has an instinct to lump the ball forward, which is obviously not what Klinsman wants to see out of his center backs. And, and I'd rather see him keep the ball on the ground. Absolutely. But this is, this is, and, and when, for anybody who wants to throw out, you don't fire a guy over one result, meaning don't fire Jurgen Klinsman over the Jamaica game. And again, I'm not advocating for him to be fired right now. I think that would probably be more damaging than it would help the situation. This is, this is a trend. I mean, we're not talking about one game. We're talking about the, oops, we're talking about the, uh, the United States. Apologies. I'm clicking wrong things here. Let's go to Stephen in Delaware. We're talking about a United States team who has not taken steps forward, who looks like it's regressed. Stephen, you're on the air. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's due to the fact that Jurgen doesn't have the tactical abilities to play in the CONCACAF system. If you look at his overall comments, he wants his players to play in Europe. He wants to play teams from Europe. But when it comes to games in CONCACAF, competitive or not, he seems to have a little bit of a struggle. And 2013 was great, but even a lot of those games, especially away, were nail-biters. This is not a new phenomenon, by the way, Stephen. The notion that playing in Europe, especially in a friendly, is going to be different than playing in CONCACAF is not new. And Klinsman has gone through a qualification process. He knows how difficult this can be. It was pointed out after the draw on Saturday in St. Petersburg, the wacky, weird stuff they did there, that the United States needed a late winner against Antigua and Barbuda to get through the fourth round the last time around. So, you know, or just to beat that team in the fourth round. So this is a, this is not something Klinsman needs to be taught. He's already learned this lesson. Why not take that lesson into the Gold Cup and realize it? You know, plenty of people pointed out, and I didn't, I'll, I'll admit that I didn't recognize it at the beginning of the tournament. The roster that Klinsman brought to the Gold Cup was not built to hold the ball, to break down bunkering teams, to, to, to get around some of those more organized defensive setups. It was built to run. That's great against Germany, who's going to play you open. It's great against the Dutch, who are going to play you more open. It's not going to work against a team like Haiti or a team like Honduras, who are going to sit back and invite pressure. It, why is that basic problem something that Jurgen Klinsmann, head coach of the U.S. national team, can't figure out? So basically, it comes down to a, a fact that he can't adapt to the system. Uh, it seems that way. 
Doesn't it seem that way? It feels like it. Yeah, absolutely. You got anything else, Stephen? No, that's it. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, look, there's, there, there is an acknowledgement, and it is long held true, that playing everybody else is one thing, playing in CONCACAF is another. Now, maybe that's some sort of excuse for struggling in CONCACAF, but it's not as though Mexico, who did very well in the World Cup, who has been known to take some scalps off, off of big countries in the past, it's not as though they go into CONCACAF and skate through. They nearly missed out on the World Cup last time around. So that, that, that maybe that makes you feel better about where the United States stands. I, I don't know. But it's, it certainly does not excuse some of the problems that Jurgen Klinsmann is having as head coach of the U.S. men's national team. Does not excuse his selection problems. And again, look at who he continually put out on the field when it mattered most. Look at their performances and then wonder to yourself why on earth would he continue to play those guys despite their poor performances? This is a team game, and I get that. And you're trying to put together a cohesive team. But that argument that he is playing these guys to build some sort of team mentality goes out the window when you consider how many different lineups he's played. Continually changes his lineup, continually changes his formation, continually changes whatever it is he wants his team to do. The only the only clear message we get in as fans and media is we want to be proactive. Okay, that's fine as long as the team understands how to do that. And we've only had a couple of moments, a couple of touchstones over the course of four years where it's been clear how the team is supposed to do that. And for every little bit of progress we get, they take two steps back. Klinsman's talking about step back and two steps forward. That's not been the math on his leadership here. That's not been the math on his tenure. The math on his tenure has been one step forward, two steps back. I, I, I think that Jurgen Klinsman, I think that Jurgen Klinsman values some sort of big picture that we can't understand or he doesn't choose to explain to us over results on the field in the short term. And that's fine if, if the United States maintains the level that we're accustomed to because that means winning trophies in the Gold Cup. That means going to the Confederations Cup. That means going through World Cup qualifying. I, I look, I know I, I'm not sure. Just, it's frustrating today. It's frustrating today. I, I don't care about losing the third place match to Panama. That's not, that's not something I'm, I'm factoring in here. They didn't play well. They lost on penalties. Who gives a flying crap? 9,000 people showed up to that game or 12,000 people, whatever. Nobody cares about losing that game to Panama. What, what we should care about is whether or not we're even moderately comfortable with the direction this team is headed in. That's what we should care about. We didn't talk any MLS. Not really. Let me just go through some results here. I just, a couple of comments before we move on. And the phone lines are still open. 646-832-3909. First of all, as mentioned, that New York City FC Orlando game was incredibly entertaining. Fun times yesterday. Enjoyed that very much. Loved that game. So much fun. And no defense was being played, but Andrea Pirlo was on the field with David Villa and Kaká, and it was just... It was absolutely brilliant. The Dynamo taking apart the Galaxy. Big credit to the Dynamo. I know it was hot, and I know that the Galaxy are not good on the road, but that's a big win 
for Owen Coyle and company. FC Dallas, probably right now playing the best soccer in the league, 4-1 over Portland. Fantastic performance from them. Looking very good. Michael Berrios with two goals. DC United came back from a two-goal deficit in the first five minutes to beat the Philadelphia Union, and better for them, they got goals from Saborio and Espindola, and if they got they get the band back together, those two guys re, uh, reuniting, they could be very dangerous. I don't know that that makes them a, an MLS Cup winning team, but it certainly consolidates their position atop the Eastern Conference. Columbus was up 3 nothing just after halftime and, lo- and uh, ended up dropping two points and gets a draw with Toronto FC. TFC coming back through Sebastian Jovinko, duh. Uh, Josie Outdoor winning a penalty, which was very dicey, and then put it away himself. Chicago and New England, a 2-2 draw, disappointing for the Revolution, even though that game was on the road. Sporting cannot win at Rio, Rio Tinto. I think that's their second loss uh, in Rio Tinto this year. So uh, certainly not very good for Sporting Kansas City on the road there. Uh, let me see what else do I have. Montreal beating the Sounders one nothing. Everybody's beating the Sounders right now. Big drop in form from them. They get Dempsey back next week. That's a big help. Whitecaps three, Earthquakes one. Big win uh, for the Whitecaps who had uh, had been sliding just a tiny little bit. All right, that's going to do it. Thank you very much to Eric Gomez for joining us. Apologies for the tech issues dropping him at the end of that call. And, uh, yeah, good times in the Gold Cup. No, not really, not for the U.S. For Mexico, they're uh, they're going to go to the Confederation Cup playoff now. The United States... It's better they better get it together before October. Hello, Jurgen. Earth to Jurgen. Soccer morning, worldsoccertalk.com. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Later. Did my invitations disappear? What I put my heart on every cursive letter. Tell me why the When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.